Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Jeremiah Sanders, and I once again have the pleasure of closing a series with y'all. So the last month, we've been diving into this series, Conversations with Jesus. We've been looking in different scenarios of how Jesus dealt with people, how he met with people, interacted with people, how he loved people. And honestly, we could go on this with this series for months, for real. Like that, it, it could be a thing for months, but we figured we'd stick to our five so we wouldn't have to drag it out any longer. Um, now, tonight, as you see with the title, it's Jesus Restoring Peter. Now, when we think of the concept of restoration, there's probably two things, at least two things that come to my mind. It's like a car or a house. Um, and now to have a story with this, I, uh, just stick with me for a minute. When I was in high school, I used to drive this like green, ugly minivan. I, I think there's a picture, maybe. But yeah, that's, it, that was exactly how it looked. Um, Maybe more rust on it. I kind of took that picture from somewhere else, but that's exactly what it looked like. And I'd go to school in the morning, everybody roll out of it. You guys are like, where is he going with this? But um, anyways, there was this one time where it was like after football practice, the alternator goes out and I'm like having this dude like jump me like the whole way home, jump like a jumper cables, like, you know, I'm talking about like the, you put them in and then I would go a little bit and jump and go. But anyways, um, so to get back working right, I would have to uh, put in a new alternator, right? And like any normal person, I go, went to YouTube because I don't really know too much about fixing cars. I mean, contrary to popular belief, I guess, I mean, I'm big, but that doesn't mean I know a lot about cars. Um, but I was frustrated, and I'm like under there trying to fix it, but, uh, in a very, um, in, in a similar sense, um, and, and I got that car back right, like I, that car, now it's not like restored, like pristine sea green, because like, I mean, how much can you restore that? Like maybe like a Rolls Royce, maybe you're thinking, but, um, I got this car back right where it was running well and as it was intended to be. And that's what God wanted once for all of us in here. Um, in biblical restoration, it began since the beginning of t- time. Like when, when we fell, there was always a plan in place to bring people back to Jesus or bring people back to God, and it was Jesus sending his son to die for us. And tonight we're going to see a very peculiar story of restoration a restoration between um, the relationship of Jesus and Peter. Um, yeah, you can take the sea green uh, thing down. So uh, we'll get into the text tonight. Um, you know, it's a beautiful car. You guys are just dissing it out there. I love that thing. And when my brother killed it, I was really sad. Um, anyways, we'll get into the text here. It says, uh, and this is John 21, verse 1. And we're going to go to verse 19. So stick with me here. All right, uh, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. 
they went out and got on the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any, or do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat, and you'll be able to find some. So they cast it, and now they were able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he would put on his outer garment because he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not very far from the land, only about a hundred yards. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon and Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him a third, or he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk yourself where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was this he said to show what kind of death he was going to do to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. So to set the context for this passage, I know that was a bunch. You guys are probably already asleep. Um, but at the beginning of, right before this, Jesus had already appeared to his disciples a couple times. And he, you know, obviously he was raised from the dead. And we find the disciples, they went back out, and they're fishing. Why would they go fishing? Like, what, what is the relevance of this? Um, and Peter even says in verse 3, I am going fishing. And the others are like, yeah, we'll come with you, bro. Like, we're there. We're out there. Um, and the reason I, I believe it is, is that it's something that they went back to that was comfortable for them. Very comfortable. That's what they did their entire life. That was their occupation. And I think to, to pull this out for us, that could be like applicable. And I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we do the same thing. So like, yeah, like we might be on mission for a little bit. And then when things get tough, now for them, it was really tough. Their savior died and um, maybe thinking people were coming after him and stuff. And yeah, he raised again, but they're like, hey, let's go back to what's comfortable. And I mean, Another way to bring this kind of home to us, I always think about like going on mission trips, right? Now the disciples were like living a mission trip because they were with Jesus. But for us, like, even though we should be on mission in our lives, we come home from a mission trip, right? We're like on fire. And I've like made this like joke before, but like we would like dig ditches for Jesus, carry trash a thousand yards for Jesus when we're on mission, all these things. We get home and we're comfortable or wherever it is and we're comfortable and we're like, eh, 
I need like Fortnite time. Like you guys probably don't play Fortnite, but like I need like Fortnite time. I need time to watch this Netflix show and binge. I don't need to be in my word and prayer. I don't need to be on mission and um, seeking out people to love like Jesus would. Like why would I set a time for God and do what he wants me to do? So the disciples are almost here. They're back to their comfortability. They're like, all right, fish, this is fishing. This is what we know. This is what we love doing. And um, God really calls us to be disciplined and follow after him with all we got. That's a big thing. And in Matthew 16, 24, it says, and this is Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That doesn't sound very comfortable to me to take up my cross and that would be a heavy one. Put it on my shoulders and like fall. I'm, I might be able to do it. I don't know if Seth Slayball will be able to do it back there. But <laughs> anyways, um, but like, but maybe it could be comfortable. Like imagine we could attach like a bobber and go out and like fish with it. We could like hold it and like, like an ultimate test of grip strength. We could like just like try to fish with a cross or something. Like car- carry the cross comfortable. But um, literally, um, my, my point is, though, that the Christian life is not, like, it's not something that's promised to be comfortable. Um, and we're not just called to be comfortable and go to things that are comfortable. We're called to live on mission for Christ. And we know, like the disciples did, or, and the disciples, you know, when things didn't work out for their Jesus movement, they went and to back to what was comfortable. Um, and we shouldn't do that. Instead, we need to persevere and carry across daily and cling to Jesus with everything. All right, now to transition on um, here, we see that the disciples are on the boat and they're not catching anything. Like all day they're out there and maybe they're using these like cross like fishing poles, you know, like attach a bobber to it and just like they're like trying to do it and no, no, okay. Um, so, but they would have used nets, and um, we see just as day broke, Jesus is standing on the shore. The disciples, they don't know that it was Jesus, and, but Jesus then calls out and says, hey guys, like, have you guys caught any fish or anything yet? And they're like, no. He's like, cast it on the right side. And when the disciples go there's, and do this, there's so many fish that like seven dudes can't pull it in. Like these guys are like normal, like working men and they're trying to pull it in. That's probably a lot of fish, right? It eventually says 153 of them. That's a lot of big fish. Um, so of course, John points out, hey, this has got to be Jesus, right? This is a miracle. Like this is something that like only he would know. And without saying a word, Peter just like puts on his outer garment, jumps in the sea, and just is swimming there. He is ready to go. Like, and something that I have to ponder and, like, push this question, um, do we have this type of tenacity when it comes to following Jesus and, like, knowing, like, hey, this is where Jesus wants me to be, and if I have this feeling of where Jesus wants me to be, I'm there. Um, So we need to be running, or, like, Peter's case, he's, like, swimming because he knew that's where Jesus wanted him to be. And um, the question is, do we know where Jesus wants us to be, and are we even going to it? So, like, Peter, he's got the, he knows, hey, like, I see Jesus, I want to be with him. I'm going to be there. And in Psalms 119.32, it says, I will run in the way of your commandments, for you to set my heart, or for you set my heart free. When we run to Jesus, 
um, we will fall in line with what he wants. We'll fall in line with his commandments. And I hope we have this type of passion in our faith to where like, we know, we see Jesus and we see where he is and we go out to him. We, the first thing we do is falling after him. We run after him and in Peter's case, he swims after him. Um, and so next we're seeing that the other disciples came in tow. So Peter's already there. He's soaking wet. He gets to the beach. And they had this big catch, like I said earlier, 153 in total. And Jesus asked them to join him for breakfast. And so for this, he had some fish and bread over laid out a charcoal fire. Um, this sounds like a really good breakfast to me. I, I don't know about you guys, like fish and bread. That'd be really good. Um, and the text points out, which I like to see, is that like none of the disciples even dared to ask, hey, like, is this Jesus? Is this him? Like, because they knew they'd already seen him. They'd already seen him another time. Um, I think it's good here. So the reason why Peter needs to be restored here. So there's a passage previous to this where Jesus, or that Peter denies Jesus, denies even knowing him. So I think it's good that we go back and revisit this account where Peter denied Jesus. Um, now I'm going to go in the John, since I'm sticking with John tonight, John 18. And in this story here, Jesus is brought before the high priest. And this is um, verses 16 and 18 in chapter 18 of John. And it says, But Peter stood outside the door, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it is cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Now I'm going to skip down a little bit because um, there's a little bit where Jesus is being questioned by the high priest to where um, Peter denies him a couple more times. So in verse 25 here, it says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by this charcoal fire here. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of a man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it and once a rooster crowed. And in this account, we see something that uh, Jesus actually prophesied earlier comes true. So like that he would deny, Peter would deny him before the rooster crows three times. And something, a detail I want to point out, and I think this is very intentional. I don't think we um, serve a God that just stays in mystery. I think he's very intentional and in that the things that he does are what he means to do it. So let's point out this detail of this charcoal fire here. Now you, you might be like, like, what is the significance to a charcoal fire? There's none. It's just a regular fire, whatever. Um, so do you notice how both when he denied Jesus and when he first, well, not first, when he sees Jesus at the shore here, this charcoal fire is here. I think that, I, I have no doubt that that was an intentional thing that Jesus was doing here to remind Peter of what happened. So you guys are going to get a little bit of like hell slash science tonight. I don't know if you guys were expecting that. If you guys are already asleep, I'll put you to sleep again. Um, so... Um, Jesus is omniscient, so that would mean he would know everything, right? That would include the makeup of our senses and our brain, right? So, according to an article I found, um, 
when you see, hear, touch, or taste something, that sensory information first heads up into your brain in the thalamus, which is your brain's relay station. This thalamus sends it to the relevant brain areas, including the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, and the amygdala, which does the emotional processing. But what smells, keep it in mind, this is different. You guys are getting science tonight. It's different. Sense bypass the thalamus and go straight to the brain smell center, known as the olfactory bulb. The olfactory bulb is directly connected to the amygdala and the hippocampus, which might explain why the smell of something can so immediately trigger a detailed memory or even an intense emotion. So, based on this, and like you could go look it up for yourself to try to prove me wrong, which I encourage you to try to do it. Um, so, sense out of all these smells, or out of, <laughs> smells out of all the senses act differently of how it travels to your brain. And it actually goes straight, wow, I love the picture of the brain. I just noticed that it was up there. It doesn't even highlight the parts that I was talking about, I don't think. But anyways, it goes straight to the part of the brain where um, memory is. And I think this is very intentional for Jesus to remind Peter, hey, this is, this is going to be the topic of conversation here. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about how you denied me three times. That's going to be the topic of conversation here. We're going to delve into that, and we're going to talk about our relationship here, Peter. Um, and... He, so he's wanting to remind Peter of how he sinned, right? But um, you guys, what he says here, um, he asks Peter if he loves him, to which Peter replies, you know that I do, Lord. And then he does it a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved, and he said to the third time. Now, notice how, like, Peter's, like, super grieved. Like, you can imagine, like, hey, this is intense for him. P Jesus is calling him out on how he wronged him and how he was wrong in denying him because he, he knew Jesus. He lied there. He straight up lied. He lied about his Lord and Savior who died for him on the cross. <clears throat> and we see here, he says, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus here, there's this restoration that's going on with their relationship between one another. So Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? And it kind of offsets this three times of denial. He has to confess his love for Jesus three times. And this is very peculiar because, I mean, this isn't all the same for us, right? We don't always have conversations with Jesus where he asks how many times he loved us based on how many times he wronged us. But with Peter, he needed to restore him and restore him to a position because Peter is going to be a leader in the early church. I know uh, previously in, in uh, his word, Jesus says that upon this rock, I will build my church about Peter. Peter's going to be a leader in this new Jesus movement that's going to come forth. And... Um, I, I want to point out this phrase he says to him, uh, feed my lambs, which is, which is very peculiar too. Like who says, goes around and says, feed my lambs. Um, Jesus wants him to shepherd his people. He wants him to be a shepherd here and to lead his people in the right direction and help. Because he's going to be a leader in the early church. Um, and my question for us, to just kind of relate us, so... We're not Peter. We're not going to be like 
maybe you are. Maybe you will be a big pastor one day, but um, we can still love the people in our own body and help love those people well, like someone to upbuild the body like, like Peter would. Now, you're not Peter. Again, you're not Peter, but we have gifts that have been given to us uh, if you are a Christian by the Holy Spirit where you can upbuild the body or uplift the body. So my question is, if you're someone that is, would say that you have the gift of hospitality, do you have people over? Do you, are you hospitable to people? Do you do those things? If you're someone who has a service gift, are we serving in the body? Are we going to the elderly, the widow, all those type of people? Are we serving? Are we, those are just a few examples, but are we uplifting the body? Are we using our gifts in the right way? Now, again, Peter's gift is different. His is different because he was supposed to be the leader of this early church. He was supposed to be this rock that Jesus was going to build his church on, right? But for us, we can still be uplifting his body um, in, in whatever way that God has gifted us with. Um, but the question at the end of the day is, like, how are you personally going to upbuild the body of believers like Jesus would want us to? And um, before I go on, I want to read Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. It's a very short but simple verse. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You could say woman, too. Just, I don't want to disclude anybody. So, like, are we pushing others towards Christ? Are we, do we got a guy, do we got somebody that we're pushing towards Christ? Are we uplifting the body? And this was Jesus' charge to Peter here to feed his sheep. And I think it is a good challenge for us as well. How are we uplifting the body? How are we helping Jesus' body? And be th- for you guys, I would be thinking and praying about how you can use your gifts to help the church. If it's, like I said, you could be someone that's a hosp- hospitality, someone's service, someone has the gift of teaching. How, how are we using those gifts to uplift the body? And at the, at the end of this chapter here, we see, or towards the end of this chapter here, we see Jesus points out how Peter's life is going to end. Um, and people are going to lead Peter where he doesn't want to go and dress in the way he doesn't want to be dressed and all these things. And a lot of the theologians actually point to Peter dying upside down on a cross. Um, that's kind of depressing. And to go back to that verse at the beginning, like, um, the call is to n- deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily, right? And Peter was definitely a person not that he was perfect. You could go through Scripture and pull out a bunch of points, especially in this, before this, he denied Jesus three times. Like, but he was definitely a person that um, would deny himself and follow after Jesus. So the charge is, again, are we doing that? Are we denying ourselves daily? Do we love people? Do we love the people in the body? Are we uplifting them? And the reality in the question of it is, are we denying ourselves? Are we uplifting the body? Are we doing those things? And are we following Jesus with everything? Don't hold anything back. Like, hey, Peter had to get, at the end of his life, he had to give it all. He, he died on a, in a terrible way. Um, is that the type of life that we could have, that we would say we'd give everything? Now, I'm not, I hope none of us have to die upside down on a cross or anything like that, but it could happen. Um, let's not hold every, anything back. So the question is, to try to go on like a lighter subject than that, how do we get there? Um, I think a big one is always being under the book, like 
we like to say here. So under the book, as in under the Bible, in prayer, or <laughs> in his word, in our devos, small, uh, quiet times, those type of things. Um, reading his word, prayer, so seeking God in, in prayer and that, all those things. And then accountability is a big one that I want to bring up. Um, like that verse I said, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. How we can be pushing each other to be more like Christ each and every day. Um, that's a big one there. All right, let's, uh, let's close in prayer here. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I just want to thank you for uh, how you sent your son to die for each and every one of us. Lord, uh, just I want to li lift up anyone in this room that uh, may not believe in you, Lord. Um, if there's anyone that is here that does not believe in you, that Lord, I just pray that they would come to know you. Lord, I want to pray for the believers in this room that uh, they would be using their gifts to glorify you and to uplift the body. Lord, I also want to pray for the Christians in this room that they would take this charge to take up their cross daily and follow after you, that they would give everything to follow you, Lord. I just want to thank you for everything you give us in your son's holy name. Amen. Good night and thrive.